All right, welcome to an. Oh, were you about to start? <laughs> no, we're back. We're back. Welcome to another episode of the DC, uh, DC podcast. podcast. Uh, we're not fighting for control. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we've been uh, going. We started a new series on critical theory. Yeah, contemporary critical theory, to be precise. Mm. Uh, and we explained what that meant and and why we're talking about this in our yeah. last episode. So if you didn't catch that, go back and watch that one. Yeah. Uh, if you're an audio listener, you're not going to notice a lot of difference right now. Uh, if you're watching us on video, uh, you're going to see we're in a different place. Yeah. We came down out of our hot, unair-conditioned storage room yes. here at 6th Avenue Church, and we are now in a larger, slightly more air-conditioned yes. Sunday school room. Yeah, we got fancy lights. We have fancy lights. We have fancy cameras. Fancy cameras. And we even have a little bit of extra fancy audio stuff. That's right. But most importantly... We have a fancy man yes. who is running all of our audio and video stuff for us. Yes. Uh, Ethan here in the room is uh, a, a answer to prayer. Yeah, We've actually partnered with the producers of American Gospel. Uh, they liked what we were doing and they wanted to uh, support us. And so we have full audiovisual tech support now. And we couldn't be happier. We could not be happier. Now, having said that, this may all fall apart, <laughs> and we're going to go back to just using like a, a handheld camera. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, which uh, honestly would not phase us. Not a uh, bit. Yeah. Now, that being said, uh, this is not going to be a permanent home yeah. because you guys teach Sunday school in this room. That's right. Uh, we need a new spot. So if you happen to live uh, between Huntsville and Decatur and maybe have a church in the Madison area and have a spare room that we could set up shop in. Yeah. Uh, Does it have to be a church? It could be a mansion. Yeah. You could have a pool house that you yeah. want us to move into. Fantastic. Uh, any number of things. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we need we need four walls yeah. and electricity. Uh, there it is. So yeah, let us know if you're maybe listening. Maybe air conditioning. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> Definitely air conditioning. Yeah, yeah. So uh, jumping right in, uh, we have a guest with us today. You want to introduce him? No. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, this is Will Stevenson. Will, tell the people who you are. I am an adult, first of all. If <laughs> yeah. you're watching on video, we should probably... <laughs> yeah. I can drive. <laughs> yeah. I'm married. I, I do no, taxes. No pituitary issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm yeah. a full-grown half-man. <laughs> That's right. I am, okay. Yeah. Uh, my name is Will Stevenson. Yeah. I am the pastoral assistant over at Sixth Avenue where Sean is the pastor. That's right. And we've invited Will to join us for this episode. He's been doing a lot of thinking about critical theory. I think he has a good grasp on it. Uh, and you're going to help us uh, walk through the four tenets of critical theory so that we can uh, rightly define what this is before we get into uh, critiquing it. That's yeah, the plan. We're, we're going to be in, we're in Sunday school mode. Yeah, that's so right. we're going to try not to critique it. We are primarily trying to just teach what it is. Yeah. Uh, so that when we do offer our feedback and critiques, it, we're not attacking straw men. We yeah. avoid that. Yeah, we have shared definitions, so on and so forth. That's right. So we got a lot of ground to cover. Let's just go ahead and jump in. The first tenet of critical theory, go. Yeah, so tenet one says that the world is divided into groups, the oppressor versus the oppressed. Okay. And it's, it's not just that the world is divided into groups, it's that the world is only divided yes, into those yeah, two groups. Yes, yeah, exclusively, that's right. So, so some examples of that, right? It's, it's black versus white, it's straight versus not straight, it's male versus female, and you can go on down the line. That's right, yeah. yeah. And so that is also connected to the idea of intersectionality. That's right. right. Russell? Yeah, so you have these divisions, oppressed and oppressor, uh, along racial age, ability, gender, sexual orientation, all these divisions. So you can actually have someone who is members of both groups, meaning uh, as a white male, Protestant Christian, uh, I'm just cisgender. A, I'm just a cisgender. I'm just oppressor all around. Yeah, you're you, however, Khan. we yeah. think you might be Latino. 
Do we know? I'm ethnically ambiguous, eth- so that, that gives me a pass so sometimes. You, so you are male, yeah. which makes you part of an oppressor class, but you're ethnically ambiguous, which in a way probably makes you part of the oppressed class. Mm-hmm, maybe. If you have a white female who's uh, a lesbian, yeah. uh, you have oppressor, because yeah. she's white, yeah. oppressed because she's female, and oppressed because she's a lesbian. So right. you have these this intersectionality concept uh, is really just the way these things all meet together. Yeah, it, it, you know, it is a tool for this worldview to try to rightly understand yeah. the way that these social binaries interact with one another yeah. in a complex world. And as we'll get to later, it has a lot to do with who has the authority to talk about certain things. That's right. right. Now, before we move on, let's just... Let's just make sure that we really understand what we're talking about here. Because what we're saying is that critical theory views the world through social binaries. But But. is that fair? I mean, doesn't the Bible view the world through social binaries as well? You take, for example, uh, the way that the Bible from the book of James all throughout the rest of the, the pages of Scripture talks about the rich as oppressors and the poor as the oppressed. So, I mean, is this unique to critical theory, or does it not come from the Bible? So, the, the problem is, is, it's true that there, there are binaries. There is such a thing as rich people and such a thing as poor people. But the difference is, is saying that you are an oppressor by virtue of being rich. Right. Or yeah. that you're oppressed by virtue of being poor. Yeah, that's, that's a key distinction. So, so, these categories that we put people into are useful. Uh, and we see in the Bible that... Uh, God's word actually speaks to categories of people fairly frequently. So you have, if you look back in the Old Testament prophets, you often see examples of prophets as as covenant ambassadors for God, accusing, say, for example, in Amos, accusing the rich in Israel of oppressing the poor. Right. He doesn't say this group of individual rich people here, you did these individual bad things. He speaks very, very broadly. Uh, but it, he is kind of speaking to a group. But he is mm-hmm. kind of speaking to a group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so one distinction, however, between the way contemporary critical theory does this and the way the Bible does this, well, there's two distinctions. One is what Will just said, which is that contemporary critical theory applies a layer of of moral certitude, like there's an ethical layer to this that goes along inescapably with your class. Yeah, or with your whatever. With your whatever, with your race, with your gender, whatever it may be. Uh, The Bible doesn't do that. Right. So though we see the rich yeah. oppressing the poor. Right. Um, you're preaching from Leviticus this coming Sunday. Yeah, Leviticus 19. You, you see that in there. Well, the Bible also says to the poor, hey, don't unjustly accuse the rich That's right. of doing things they didn't do. Yeah. Uh, and so there's an, there's a, a recognition in the Bible that the, uh, the what the critical, contemporary critical yeah. theory would call the oppressed group yeah. can actually do moral wrong against the oppressor. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and that's not true in contemporary critical theory. Right. Yeah. Your moral stance aligns always with that division of oppressor and oppressed. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, the second distinction is the Bible doesn't only use groups and categories right, to right. speak of people. Uh, the Bible very frequently speaks to individuals, to individual actions, and to those who are exempt from group classification of, of, of wrongdoing. That's right. So the remnant of Israel, you know, yeah. that group that was faithful, yeah. even though the general class of Israel was not. That's right, yeah. And it's totally possible to be rich for righteous reasons and mm-hmm. to use your wealth for righteousness. You're not, uh, along the lines of critical theory, uh, because a rich person only and always perpetually interested in maintaining yes. your hegemonic power, right? Yeah. You can actually have wealth and use it to 
help the poor. Now, that's part of the aim of what critical theory tries to get the rich to do. Yeah. But that's more of like a, hey, I need to enlighten you that's right. so that you can see that you need to do that and that you yeah. must do that. And if you don't, I'm going to overthrow you. Well, and that, that, moral, that moral ethical layer to your binary distinctions assumes, like you said, that the rich are always rich for the wrong reasons right. and that the poor are always poor because, because of oppressed. something the rich did. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, read Proverbs. Yeah. Proverbs yeah. is full of warnings that the, to the rich, don't oppress your right. day laborer, right. don't oppress the servant, don't oppress the poor. And it's full of warnings that if you sleep a lot and you don't <laughs> like work, personal responsibility, and you don't take things seriously, you will be poor and you will be hungry. An emphasis, sorry, Will, on personal yeah. responsibility is uh, a part of the white supremacist hegemony. So right, don't say that again. Segue. <laughs> right, which is quite the segue. Segue. Segue into number two. Yeah. The premise, the second tenet yeah. of critical theory? The second tenet says that the oppressor group oppresses or dominates the oppressed group through hegemonic power. Okay. Which hegemonic power just means they set the social norms or, or, the, or the mores, right? They, they kind of draw the line. Mm-hmm. says if you step over this line, then, then you get a slap on the hands. But if you stay within these lines that we've created, then you're doing a good job. Yeah. That's hegemonic power. So biblically, we understand oppression to be what, Russell? A coercion. Uh, yeah. uh, the use of coercion, whether it be manipulation, blackmail, physical force, uh, the power of the sword, if it's the state. Uh, uh, it could be intellectual and could, social. Sure. sure. Yeah. And, and these, but these forms of oppression are, are injustice. Uh, treating people wrongly for your own benefit yeah, uh, right. and in a way that harms them. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in contrast to critical theory, which views oppression primarily along ideological lines, yes, right? So that's key. Every, everything that infuses this culture of injustice is all ideology that comes from the oppressor class, and all of it is designed either consciously or subconsciously to keep those who are oppressed in a state of oppression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for example... Sorry, real quick, just a quick delineation. So Christians would say you can use ideology Mm -hmm. to suppress people. That's right. Yes. Right? But critical theory would say that's the primary way that it's Mm -hmm. being used. Okay, go ahead. And in particular, that the ideology that is is being used from the oppressor group is always being used that way. Yeah. Yeah. Whether you realize it or not, uh, plumbing deep down to the deepest portion of your subconscious, if you could, you would find there some kind of Freudian desire Mm -hmm. to remain in the oppressive class. Every every truth claim, critical theory says, is a power grab. Yeah. And so when you have a society, your society is inevitably going to be reflective of the worldview of the predominance of its populace. Yeah. And that worldview is is basically a set of fundamental truth claims. And so what critical contemporary critical theory is saying is is it's really saying worldviews, meta narratives if you want to call them are all evil. Yeah. And they're all in competition to suppress other people and to gain unjustly from other people's suffering. And the great irony is that that itself is a meta narrative. <laughs> it is a worldview. Yeah. It it's, is a meta narrative. It's yeah. the meta narrative to destroy all meta narratives. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Will, you sound like you had something else to say. Oh, I was just going to offer up an example. That would be that. helpful. Right? So an example would be, you know, the oppressor group of, of men against the oppressed group of women. Well, you know, we... We believe in this culture that that reason is a useful tool for arriving at the truth. Well, you're just mansplaining, is what right. you're doing. That's just that's just a way for you to try to to keep your power over me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and right. that, and that's important because these cultural ideological norms that are that are considered oppressive, they're not just things like holidays and American flags and uh, you know a Monday through Friday work week and drive on the right side of the road. We're talking about 
reason and mm-hmm. logic and mathematics and uh, case law, you know, basic mm-hmm. judicial assumptions that are built into the fabric of Western society and the way we've thought, uh, you know, some would say since the Enlightenment, I would say arguably since right. creation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these are the things that are being challenged. Yeah, and that's so right. that's really, really dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it really makes communication fall apart yeah. in, in essence. A, a good recent example uh, is this infographic that the Smithsonian Institute put out about what white supremacy is, and it, it talks about a number of different uh, aspects of Western culture in particular mm-hmm. uh, that are things like work ethic yeah. and an emphasis on planning for the future and being considerate of punctuality and, right. and, and just a bunch of things that they say uh, those are all part of the hegemony that, yeah. that white the white predominant culture is using to try to remain in control. That's right. Yeah, and so uh, so you're guilty is what I'm saying. Yep. Right. I'm, I'm slightly less guilty. But I'm, I'm like half guilty maybe, depending <laughs> on, on my DNA test. <laughs> the right. jury's out. The jury yeah. is out. All right, so that's all for number two. Yep. All right. Premise number three. Here we go. Back to Will. Will, you've not done a great job on the first two. Do better. Great. I'll try to do better. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. No uh, doubt. Yeah. Ten of three, a standpoint theory okay. is, is the idea here. So standpoint theory says that the oppressed have a unique access to truth that the oppressor group does not. Okay. Mm. Go on. Which uh, we do not maintain is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, so... Basically, if you have been the victim of oppression, so if you take if you take critical theorists and the way that they kind of do their intersections of oppression, if you are, for example, a black lesbian Muslim woman, right? You're with rickets, with <laughs> rickets. Yes, you are uh, oppressed in a way that straight white cisgendered male Protestant Christian is not, right? Right. And so, therefore, she has access to all different kinds of truth. Mm-hmm that I just don't have access to. Well, and, and you can be enlightened to right. those things. You can't, the, the colloquialism is woke. You right. can get woke to her oppression. Once her mind is emancipated, you can understand that too, but, but you don't have the authority to render judgments about that. You simply have to accept her point of view is true because she, as the person who's experienced that oppression, as, as a member of multiple oppression classes, she has the authority to speak on what's true and not true. Relative, that's right. and, and that's all based on her experience. Yeah. So this is basically dealing with the epistemology of the critical worldview. Right. right? If you didn't listen to our last episode, we, we briefly defined epistemology. It's just the way you know things. Yeah, that's right. It's how you understand things as being true or not yeah. true. And every worldview has an epistemology, right? And so the epistemology of Christianity is largely grounded in, in God's revelation through mm-hmm. a number of different, uh, you know, his self-revelation in his word and his son and nature. And this is the epistemology of critical theory. Okay. Now, one thing that I, I, I want to ask you guys, just, just to make sure that we're not uh, doing straw man stuff here. Okay. Straw man stuff. Hmm. Uh, I'm really on top of it today. <laughs> uh, is there no sense in which our experiences give us unique access to truth. So let me just give you an example. Let me give you two examples. Uh, A white man marries a black woman, has his eyes opened up to a world of discrimination and prejudice that he never experienced before living in a sort of white bubble his whole life. Uh, Example number two from my own life. 
I never really thought much about sexual harassment, so on and so forth, until uh, I was actually sexually harassed by someone in the workplace. And then it kind of opened my eyes up to a whole new world of, uh, of oppression, okay? So those two examples, are we saying that, that critical theory is wrong about that, that that's invalid? Well, well, yeah, we would say that critical theory is right to point out that perspective matters and that people do have perspectives that absolutely help them understand the world they live in better. But what's not true is to say that those perspectives are unique or like are unable to be understood by someone else outside of that group. And it's also incorrect to say that, uh, that they're unchallengeable, that they're infallible um, opinions on the truth, that they have what their story, their truth is, in fact, objective and uh, unable to be argued against. So let's take that first one, yeah. that they're not unique, okay? Um, we don't disagree, and we're going to talk about this more when we kind of critique critical yeah. theory. We're just touching on this. We're just touching on it for the sake, sake of clarification. Uh, we would agree that your experience can give you unique access in particular contexts to truths that you might not have had access to yeah. otherwise, okay? But we don't think that you are the only one who can have access to that truth because you're the only one who can experience it in your own way. That's right. Right? So you can share your experience with me, right? And now through logic and reason or through scripture or through any number of different things, I can actually share in that same understanding with you. Right? Yeah. Okay. Which is so, so critical to say... It's critical? It's critical. To say that, that scripture as Christians is obviously our source of knowledge. And so yeah. we don't maintain... Our ultimate source. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. Yeah. Our ultimate source of knowledge. And it has to depict how we interpret our experiences and, and the experiences of others. Yeah. yeah. So. Experiences is useful, but subordinate yeah. to our reason to, uh, and ultimately to scripture. And you, it's an, an easy way to think of this is just experience is just a bunch of data points. Mm. It's, it's a bunch of one-off things that we can use to build a picture yeah. that's more uh, broad and more explanatory. But we have to be careful anytime we do that. In the same way in science, you conduct one experiment one time and then form some grand sweeping theory of yeah. how the world works. You're going to get disappointed. Yeah. You need predictability and you need uh, reproducibility. And that's yeah. the same with our experiences. Yeah. Well, that's right in line with the second thing that Will talked about is that it's not infallible, right? So, one of the things that, that we as Christians would say is unhelpful with critical theory is that it talks about people's experience and how that gives them access to truth in a way that, that means that it can't be critiqued. Mm. But we know from what God says in His Word. And from our own, it's just that we have a, a, just a slight sense of self-awareness that uh, our own experiences often lead us into falsehood. How often have you experienced something, thought you understood the situation well, you thought you understood what happened, only to look back on it later and, 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 and be like, oh, actually, I was completely wrong. Yeah. That's called being married. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the book, The Coddling of the American Mind... Uh, Culling? The what? Calling? The Calling? coddling. The coddling, coddling. of the American there mind. Yeah, Gregory and so-and-so and Jonathan Haidt. <laughs> uh, you know, there's an example in there from a woman who, uh, a black female, and she's talking about her experience in an emergency room. And she she experienced a doctor who was not necessarily kind to her. He was, you know, he's being like a doctor tends to be in a busy emergency room. And she said that her first thought was, Oh, it's because I'm black. Yeah. Right. And so, but her experience led her to think along those lines until she stopped and she actually applied reason to the situation. Now, after she applied reason to the situation, she saw that her experience, if she would have let her experiences uh, take the wheel, if you mm -hmm. will, that, that it would have actually led her down the path into falsehood. Yeah. And I, I think that's, it's, it's a simple point. 
but it is so profoundly important because nine times out of 10, I think there's, there's some element of that uh, skewed perception. Yeah. And we start talking about our experience and trying to paint broad narratives from that. Yeah. yeah. Um, whether it's, you know, j- just like you said, you know, I've had experiences where somebody came and sat down next to me, public transportation on a bus, and I'm nervous to get up because I'm worried that they're going to think, oh, he's getting up because I'm a Latino guy or I'm a black guy and doesn't want to sit next to me. Yeah, that's right. Actually, it's just because you smell like cigarette smoke and that bothers me. Yeah. Um, And it's just because I know things can so easily get skewed by our perception. It's it's a concern. And I think that happens a lot more than we give it credit for. Absolutely. One one aspect of people who have have taken on this critical uh, worldview is that they view the entire world through the lens of their most dominant... Uh, oppressive yes the the most dominant oppressive portion of their ideology yeah. excuse me of their identity so mm. if you are a gay man you tend to see the whole world through the lens of what you've experienced as a gay man so a gay man walks into gets on the bus and you move he's going to immediately think oh he's moving because he's a home homophobe but yeah no actually it's just that victoria's secret perfume you're wearing is so strong that i can't take it <laughs> Yeah, well, moving on. Well done. Yeah, I, I'm pretty proud of that. Okay. Uh, oppressor, wait, real quick, before we move on yeah. from this third one. Oppressor groups hide their suppression They're under the guise... Oppression. What, what oppressor it? groups, I'm going to help you yeah, read. thanks, dude. <laughs> oppressor groups <laughs> hide, hide their, oppression their oppression under the guise of objectivity. What does that mean? Well, you tell me. This is, yeah. this is, this is built, this is wrapped up in this, this third, right this in, third this right in line with standpoint. This is your right? moment, Will. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we talked about hegemonic power, right? The, the, uh, the oppressor group using the authority to kind of dictate what is normal in society. Um, I'm having a total brain fart. Sorry. No, it's totally fine. So the oppressor groups hiding their oppression under the guise of objectivity is one way that they can kind of feel good about standpoint theory and yeah. the way that they think about the nature of truth and how you access it. Right. right. You feel comfortable having your experience be the ultimate uh, uh, road to knowledge. Yes. If you think that all other roads to knowledge are actually part of a grand cons- conspiracy yes. right. to keep you under the man's thumb. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple things to, to unpack about that. Um, the, the first one is that it, I think it highlights, uh, something that's, that's, we'll get to in our next point. This, this whole idea of contemporary critical theory is that it's profoundly pragmatic. Mm. It wants to accomplish Mm. something and it wants to accomplish something more than it wants a coherent, cohesive, unified way of thinking about the world. So you get things like the standpoint theory, which, which is not a denial of objective truth. So most contemporary critical theorists will not say, well, truth is relative. They don't do the postmodern thing. Some may. They, well, they flirt they, with it. Yeah. And this is what's really interesting. And this is what I mean when I say they're not really coherent all the time, is because they will flirt with the idea of relative truth. Uh, and yet at the same time, they're making very positive affirmations of, of objective truth and, in their own right. Yeah. And so that coherence isn't really important to them. And yeah. when they say, you know, should we challenge them on that? Like, hey, look, you're making a claim that your group or this class of people is oppressed. Uh, where's the evidence of that? And they give one experience. We say, okay, well, look at this statistical evidence. Look yeah. at this data we've collected. Look at this reasonable, logical argument that says the opposite. Yeah. Well, now the narrative spins out, well, that this particular way of knowing is just part of your hegemonic uh, power grab. Right. We don't recognize it and we right. reject it. 
Uh, and so in that, they're rejecting reason, mm. and they're using a reasoned argument to reject reason. It's entirely self-defeating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It really doesn't make sense, but it, the, that doesn't matter because they're still achieving their purpose. Right. That's right. And so I think that that's where we start to see the importance of this pragmatic drive behind uh, contemporary critical theory. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And, and, and that, that, that whole, like, it doesn't matter if it's true as long as it achieves its purpose. It's not unique to critical theory. You saw right. that with Hitler. Oh, yeah. Hitler was not an idea dialogue yeah. he just was going to do whatever i mean you see it a lot in our president you, you see this in all false worldviews and ideologies that's right yeah will yeah i was just gonna say like you know you mentioned earlier like there's actual hard data there's real statistics but they have to be adjusted to the data points of my experience right right my truth has an ultimate uh, uh power over the actual data yeah right and you can you can come up with plausible sounding narratives that explain away any data right it's it's just called it's it's the ad hoc fallacy yeah it's i just come up with a you know a just so story that mm -hmm. explains why this data is actually just a white supremacist or patriarchal conspiracy yeah uh, and can't be trusted and, and i've seen that at least a dozen times in my interactions with people sure. who are yeah. persuaded by this stuff and, and, it, and it gives critical theorists the ability to kind of go around the arguments yep. and just question the actual motives of the person that's right yeah. so we were their conscious or unconscious right motives. right yeah. we weren't supposed to be no, we're not. Oh, yes. We got it. Uh, okay. okay. We're just teaching. We're but, just teaching. But let me actually throw a bone to my friends who may disagree with us. Yeah. I'm actually also not saying that you can't use statistics to oppress people. That's right. You yeah. certainly can. You oh, know, yeah. Uh, Mark Twain said that there are lies, there are damned lies, and then there are statistics. Yes. Right? So you can use statistics to do whatever you want. You can twist numbers and you can twist logic and reasoning in any way you want sure. to, to, to meet your goal. Yeah. But how do you know the difference between statistics being twisted and statistics that are truly reflecting reality? There has to be a way. It's a rational yeah. observation. That's yeah. how you can tell. Okay. And so we can't throw reasoning and, and rationality out the door. No, we can't. Yeah. Uh, premise number four, Will. Yeah. And this is this is your shining <laughs> moment. This, this is, is it. The, all of this episode has been leading up to you right here, right now. The highest yeah. moral duty is social justice, okay. meaning liberation of the oppressed. Okay, so you say social justice meaning. Why, why do you have to say meaning? Yeah, this? well, social justice just has so many definitions that are always being kicked around. Yeah. But for critical theory, it specifically means, justice means the oppressed being freed from hegemony. That is liberation. Okay, yeah. so if, if you take critical theory to be a worldview, this would be their great commission, mm -hmm. yeah. right? So our great commission is to go out and make disciples of all nations, yeah. Uh, teaching them to obey all that the Son has taught, so on and so forth, baptizing them. The the great commission of critical theory is we have to free those who are oppressed. This yeah. is their jihad, if you will. Elaborate, Russell. Well, jihad in, in Islam is the struggle. It's the active waging of ideological, social, and political warfare, and, yeah. and sometimes real warfare, in transforming a people and a society into conformity with Allah's law. Yeah. And... Uh, and that plays out on an individual level, on an activism level, on a on a violent level sometimes in yeah. Islam, and yeah. on a political and sometimes level. Sometimes in critical theory. Right. And, and so and, and and critical theory captures every one of those sort of dimensions as well. Yeah. I think it's a useful analogy. The Bible. Ever heard of it? Mm. I'm gonna read to you from uh, the King James, the inspired version. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Proverbs thirty one eight. Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute. That's a clear command from Scripture mm. that we are supposed to seek justice for the oppressed. So why don't you want to do that? Why wh is that? What's happening here? As a Christian, we absolutely want to do that, right? Yeah. 
But the point is, is defining our terms. So when the Bible says to liberate those who are oppressed, what does it mean? Well, it doesn't mean what contemporary critical theorist means, right? It, it means, uh, for the example of court, right? You, you give someone what they're due. If, whether they're rich or they're poor, whatever color they are, if they're guilty, they're guilty. And if they're not guilty, they're not guilty. You, you treat them based off of the actual truth. Yeah. 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 Russell? Uh, yeah. It really just comes down to our definition of justice. And so that's what's so, uh, so sort of complex about discussing critical theory is that we share terminology that we don't really share. Right. So critical, contemporary critical theory likes to use concepts, words, terms that we as Christians uh, have owned for uh, millennia. Yeah. And yet they use them with a different meaning. Yeah. And that creates a great deal of confusion. And so yeah. when critical theorists say our goal is justice, uh, most Christians I know tend to immediately see that and go, amen. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's the right response. Yeah to any claim for justice. But when you look a little closer and hold that under the microscope, uh, their understanding of justice is profoundly different than a biblical understanding of justice. So let's just give an easy example, okay? We would say uh, an example of justice along economic lines mm -hmm. in our society would be that everyone has an equal opportunity to make a living, to yes. survive, right? And, and those who might be economically and unjustly oppressing someone that's right receive punishment that's right that yeah. that not be allowed and yeah. we're gonna it's, it's it'll be difficult to kind of exactly draw the lines on what is sure. and what is an oppression and that's part of the conversation yep uh whereas critical theory would say uh everyone needs to not only have equality but they need to have equity that's right, right? so we're not going to be satisfied until everyone has the same amount another way to say that would be equality of opportunity versus equality, equality of, of outcome outcome yeah that's right and uh if you're interested in this we have a whole series of episodes on biblical justice yeah. from a while back. It might be useful to listen to. Yeah, that's right. Um, now, one of the things that some critical theorists, when they're being honest, will admit is that uh, although it's typically the aim to have equity, mo a lot of them, especially along racial lines, uh, some of the more militant versions want actually a complete subversion. Right. Right. Now, we could talk about it in a critique form and say that that's actually not the aim sometimes, but that will always be the outcome. Right. Right. But some of them will even just be honest and say, like, no, that's what we want. Yeah. We want a complete subversion. Yeah. Some would say we don't want any disparities, which is proof that justice has been achieved. Yeah. And some would say, well, not until actually it's reverted and they have their time. Yeah, the, that's the right. oppressed group are in control now, and, and yeah. that equalizes things. The the proletariat are right. in charge. The bourgeois are yeah. are yeah. subjugated, taking away all your land and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. We have gone for quite some time. That's right. Uh, this is probably maybe this one and the next one are the most like. All right, guys, I get it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? This feels like a like I'm sitting through a lecture. It's important though, but it's very important. We don't want to. We don't want to attack any straw men, mm -hmm. and we also want to be really clear. I'm going to do a brief recap here. We want to be really clear that almost every one of these tenets that we use to describe contemporary critical theory, uh, and again, we're not pulling this from the contemporary critical theory manifesto. These are right. drawn from our observations and other scholars' observations yeah. on contemporary critical theory. We're sort of That's painting right. a picture of it. Each of these tenets has overlaps with biblical truth in ways that we need to pay attention to. So yeah. uh, the first tenet, this idea of social binary, as we said, the Bible does speak in terms of binaries frequently. Yeah. Uh, premise two, uh, hegemony. Uh, hegemony is a real thing. Yeah. The Bible is a giant hegemonic text. Yeah. Uh, I do want hegemonic cultural norms to oppress the yeah. idea that murder is okay. Yeah, that's right. right? That's, that's all biblical. 
Uh, premise three, the idea that our experience can give us access to truth and authority. Uh, I think of Joseph, uh, who was accused of uh, sexual assault on uh, a woman that he didn't touch. Yeah. And he knew in his heart that he was going to be vindicated before God, though no one believed him, yeah, and he was right. thrown in the dungeon. Yeah. His access to truth, his authority on that particular point was based on his experience. Yeah. Uh, and I think of premise uh, number four that we should strive for justice as Christians. Uh, and yet in all of those, by just a subtle twisting of definitions mm -hmm. and a subtle twisting of emph emphasis, we can arrive at a very unscriptural place. Right. And that's why we have to so carefully walk through these and discuss each one in detail. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And what's what's particularly dangerous about critical theory is is that it's 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 basically it grew up out of a western world framework right it's it's drawing from the wells of western philosophy which is drawn from the wells of scripture mm -hmm. and so it does what a lot of of false ideologies do it it tries to get in the car and then drive it into a tree yeah. right so like every person who's reading the bible and sees what the bible says at, at first glance would hear critical theory and the way it talks about justice and stuff would be like yeah let's do this this is what the bible says but just a slight shift, and yeah. now we're actually into a completely godless philosophy. That's right. And I, yeah. and I think as as you guys continue to move forward in the next couple of weeks, we'll see that that's intentional. Mm. That's, that's not an accident. Are you assuming their motives? Uh, mm. No, these are stated motives. Yeah. They've stated them. They said no. that out loud, yeah. explicitly. But you're not allowed to state them back. Because right. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're getting off, we're off getting, the rails yeah. here. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening. Uh, we hope this was edifying, yeah. and uh, we look forward to unpacking this more on the next episode. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. See you next time.